Chapter twenty seven of the Alhambra A Series of Tales and Sketches of the Moors and Spaniards by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty seven The Governor and the Notary. In former times there ruled as governor of the Alhambra a doughty old cavalier who from having lost one arm in the wars was commonly known by the name of el Hobernardo manco or the one-armed governor he in fact prided himself upon being an old soldier wore his moustaches curled up to his eyes a pair of campaigning boots and a toledo as long as a spit with his pocket handkerchief in the basket hilt he was moreover exceedingly proud and punctilious and tenacious of all his privileges and dignities under his sway the immunities of the alhambra as a royal residence and domain were rigidly exacted no one was permitted to enter the fortress with firearms or even with a sword or staff unless he were of a certain rank and every horseman was obliged to dismount at the gate and lead his horse by the bridle now as the hill of the alhambra rises from the very midst of the city of granada being as it were an excrescence of the capital it must at all times be somewhat irksome to the captain-general who commands the province to have thus an imperium in imperio a petty independent post in the very centre of his domains it was rendered the more galling in the present instance from the irritable jealousy of the old governor that took fire on the least question of authority and jurisdiction and from the loose vagrant character of the people who had gradually nestled themselves within the fortress as in a sanctuary and thence carried on a system of roguery and depredation at the expense of the honest inhabitants of the city thus there was a perpetual feud and heart-burning between the captain-general and the governor the more virulent on the part of the latter inasmuch as the smallest of two neighbouring potentates is always the most captious about his dignity the stately palace of the captain-general stood in the plaza nueva immediately at the foot of the hill of the alhambra and here was always a bustle and parade of guards and domestics and city functionaries a beetling bastion of the fortress overlooked the palace and public square in front of it and on this bastion the old governor would occasionally strut backwards and forwards with his toledo girded by his side keeping a wary eye down upon his rival like a hawk reconnoitring his quarry from his nest in a dry tree whenever he descended into the city it was in grand parade on horseback surrounded by his guards or in his state coach an ancient and unwieldy spanish edifice of carved timber and gilt leather drawn by eight mules with running footmen outriders and lackeys on which occasions he flattered himself he impressed every beholder with awe and admiration as vice-garant of the king though the wits of granada particularly those who loitered about the palace of the captain-general were apt to sneer at his petty parade and in allusion to the vagrant character of his subjects to greet him with the appellation of the king of the beggars 
one of the most fruitful sources of dispute between these two doughty rivals, was the right claimed by the governor to have all things passed free of duty through the city, that were intended for the use of himself or his garrison. By degrees this privilege had given rise to extensive smuggling. A nest of contrabandistas took up their abode in the hovels of the fortress, and the numerous caves in its vicinity, and drove a thriving business under the connivance of the soldiers of the garrison. The vigilance of the captain-general was aroused. He consulted his legal adviser and factotum, a shrewd meddlesome escribano or notary, who rejoiced in an opportunity of perplexing the old potentate of the Alhambra, and involving him in a maze of legal subtleties. He advised the captain-general to insist upon the right of examining every convoy passing through the gates of his city, and penned a long letter for him in vindication of the right. Governor Manco was a straightforward cut-and-thrust old soldier, who hated an escribano worse than the devil, and this one in particular worse than all other escribanos. What, said he, curling up his moustaches fiercely, does the captain-general set this man of the pen to practice confusions upon me? I'll let him see an old soldier is not to be baffled by schoolcraft. He seized his pen and scrawled a short letter in a crabbed hand, in which, without deigning to enter into argument, he insisted on the right of transit free of search, and denounced vengeance on any custom-house officer who should lay his unhallowed hand on any convoy protected by the flag of the Alhambra. While this question was agitated between the two pragmatical potentates, it so happened that a mule laden with supplies for the fortress arrived one day at the gate of Hinil, by which it was to traverse a suburb of the city on its way to the Alhambra. The convoy was headed by a testy old corporal, who had long served under the governor, and was a man after his own heart, as rusty and staunch as an old Toledo blade. As they approached the gate of the city, the corporal placed the banner of the Alhambra on the pack-saddle of the mule, and drawing himself up to a perfect perpendicular, advanced with his head dressed to the front, but with the wary side-glance of a cur passing through hostile ground, and ready for a snap and a snarl. "'Who goes there?' said the sentinel at the gate. "'Soldier of the Alhambra!' said the corporal, without turning his head. "'What have you in charge?' "'Provisions for the garrison.' "'Proceed.' The corporal marched straight forward, followed by the convoy, but had not advanced many paces before a posse of custom-house officers rushed out of a small toll-house. "'Hello there!' cried the leader. "'Muleteer, halt, and open those packages!' The corporal wheeled round and drew himself up in battle array. "'Respect the flag of the Alhambra!' said he. These things are for the governor. A figo for the governor, and a figo for his flag, muleteer. Halt, I say. Stop the convoy at your peril, cried the corporal, cocking his musket. The muleteer gave his beast a hearty thwack, 
The custom house officer sprang forward and seized the halter; whereupon the corporal levelled his piece and shot him dead. The street was immediately in an uproar. The old corporal was seized, and after undergoing sundry kicks and cuffs and cudgellings, which are generally given, impromptu, by the mob in Spain, as a foretaste of the after penalties of the law, he was loaded with irons and conducted to the city prison, while his comrades were permitted to proceed with the convoy, after it had been well rummaged, to the Alhambra. The old governor was in a towering passion when he heard of this insult to his flag and capture of his corporal. For a time he stormed about the Moorish halls, and vapoured about the bastions, and looked down fire and sword upon the palace of the captain-general. Having vented the first ebullition of his wrath, he dispatched a message demanding the surrender of the corporal, as to him alone belonged the right of sitting in judgment on the offences of those under his command. The captain-general, aided by the pen of the delighted Escribano, replied at great length, arguing that as the offence had been committed within the walls of his city, and against one of his civil officers, it was clearly within his proper jurisdiction. The governor rejoined by a repetition of his demand. The captain-general gave a sur-rejoinder of still greater length and legal acumen. The governor became hotter and more peremptory in his demands, and the captain-general cooler and more copious in his replies, until the old lion-hearted soldier absolutely roared with fury at being thus entangled in the meshes of legal controversy. While the subtle Escribano was thus amusing himself at the expense of the governor, he was conducting the trial of the corporal who, mewed up in a narrow dungeon of the prison, had merely a small grated window at which to show his iron-bound visage and receive the consolations of his friends. A mountain of written testimony was diligently heaped up, according to Spanish form, by the indefatigable Escribano. The corporal was completely overwhelmed by it. He was convicted of murder and sentenced to be hanged. It was in vain the governor sent down remonstrance and menace from the Alhambra. The fatal day was at hand, and the corporal was put in capilla, that is to say, in the chapel of the prison, as is always done with culprits the day before execution, that they may meditate on their approaching end and repent them of their sins. Seeing things drawing to extremity, the old governor determined to attend to the affair in person. For this purpose he ordered out his carriage of state, and, surrounded by his guards, rumbled down the avenue of the Alhambra into the city. Driving to the house of the Escribano, he summoned him to the portal. The eye of the old governor gleamed like a coal at beholding the smirking man of the law advancing with an air of exultation. "'What is this I hear?' cried he, "'that you are about to put to death one of my soldiers?' "'All according to law, all in strict form of justice,' said the self-sufficient Escribano, chuckling and rubbing his hands. "'I can show your excellency the written testimony in the case.' 
fetch it hither," said the governor. The Escribano bustled into his office, delighted with having another opportunity of displaying his ingenuity at the expense of the hard headed veteran. He returned with a satchel full of papers, and began to read a long deposition with professional volubility. By this time a crowd had collected, listening with outstretched necks and gaping mouths. Prithee, man, get into the carriage out of this pestilent throng, that I may the better hear thee," said the governor. The Escribano entered the carriage, when, in a twinkling, the door was closed, the coachman smacked his whip, mules, carriage, guards, and all dashed off at a thundering rate, leaving the crowd in gaping wonderment. Nor did the governor pause until he had lodged his prey in one of the strongest dungeons of the Alhambra. He then sent down a flag of truce in military style, proposing a cartel or exchange of prisoners, the corporal for the notary. The pride of the captain-general was piqued. He returned a contemptuous refusal, and forthwith caused a gallows, tall and strong, to be erected in the centre of the Plaza Nueva for the execution of the corporal. Oho! Is that the game? said Governor Manco. He gave orders, and immediately a gibbet was reared on the verge of the great beetling bastion that overlooked the plaza. Now, said he in a message to the captain-general, hang my soldier when you please, but at the same time that he is swung off in the square, look up to see your escribano dangling against the sky. The captain-general was inflexible. Troops were paraded in the square, the drums beat, the bell tolled. An immense multitude of amateurs gathered together to behold the execution. On the other hand, the governor paraded his garrison on the bastion, and tolled the funeral dirge of the notary from the Torre de la Campagna, or Tower of the Bell. The notary's wife pressed through the crowd with a whole progeny of little embryo escribanos at her heels, and, throwing herself at the feet of the captain-general, implored him not to sacrifice the life of her husband, and the welfare of herself and her numerous little ones, to the point of pride. "'For you know the old governor too well,' said she, "'to doubt that he will put his threat in execution if you hang the soldier.' The captain-general was overpowered by her tears and lamentations, and the clamours of her callow brood. The corporal was sent up to the Alhambra, under a guard, in his gallows garb, like a hooded friar, but with head erect and a face of iron. The escribano was demanded in exchange, according to the cartel. The once bustling and self-sufficient man of the law was drawn forth from his dungeon more dead than alive. All his flippancy and conceit had evaporated. His hair, it is said, had nearly turned grey with affright, and he had a downcast, dogged look, as if he still felt the halter round his neck. The old governor stuck his one arm akimbo, and for a moment surveyed him with an iron smile. "'Henceforth, my friend,' said he, moderate your zeal in hurrying others to the gallows. Be not too certain of your safety, 
even though you should have the law on your side. And, above all, take care how you play off your schoolcraft another time upon an old soldier. End of chapter 27